Let's thank the Lord for our worship team today. Awesome job. What a blessing. We're so blessed. Feel free to have a seat, church. Uh, welcome to NBC. My name is Marcus, one of the pastors here on staff. So excited to share God's word today. Uh, all of you guys welcome that are in the house today. For those of you guys online as well, thank you for tuning in. Pastor Tim, I want to say thank you for giving me the chance to speak today, to preach, to teach today. He'll be uh, later on chatting about uh, some things that are going on here, closing up the service, but I'm really, really excited. What's up, Dan? How you doing, man? You doing good? You shaved, man. I see you shaved a little bit. Let's give it up for Dan finally looking groomed. About time. And he showered, which is nice, which is nice. So 4th of July, you guys, 4th of July weekend is right around the corner. I'm excited. I love 4th of July. I love summertime in San Diego. Can I hear amen? Man, it's hard to beat summertime in San Diego. I love 4th of July. I love America. I'm not ashamed to say it. I happen to love this country. I think God has blessed this country, even though it's flawed, even though it's got mistakes. I love America. I love the USA. I love hot dogs. I love the 4th of July. I love beaches. And I love me some Jesus, too. So I'm really excited about today. Amen. Uh, um, I, I learned to love uh, my country early on. My dad, who's here, you here, Papa? Why don't you stand up? That's my dad, Rick, right there. He was a 25 years Green Beret, Special Forces. Um, he, he sacrificed a lot for this nation. Uh, he fought the Vietnam War. My dad is my hero. His brother gave his life for this nation as well. Uh, I was born in Panama. Uh, the Green Beret Special Forces would do a lot of jungle training in there. I've lived in a different country. I've done missionary work um, in other countries and know really how blessed we are. Uh, not that it's a perfect nation, but it certainly is a blessed nation, and we are blessed to be here. Uh, a, a, little, a, a little fun facts about 4th of July. First of all, before we get into the fun facts, Hopefully, you never know nowadays, right? It's really Independence Day, right? It's a day that um, the, the, uh, the, the, our nation, right, signed the Declaration of Independence on the 4th of July in 1776. Now, some say that it was voted two days earlier, and the fourth, but in general, that time in 1776 is when we declared our independence from Britain, and it was memorialized with the signing of the Declaration of the Independence. Um, I got some fun facts. Um, I like this one. 65% of Americans have American flags. Most of those flags made in China, which I think is very interesting. <laughs> Only two people actually signed uh, the Declaration of Independence in 1776. Fourth of July, uh, the rest were signed later. Two being Charles Thompson, uh, as well as John Hancock. Three U.S. presidents died on Fourth of July. I guess that's not a fun fact. I should erase that one. That's not fun. Uh, but only 2.5 million people lived in the United States in 4th of July, 1976. 2.5 million. To give you a scope, about 3 million people live in uh, San Diego County today. Right? It's pretty interesting there. Um, listen to this. About 150 million hot dogs will be eaten this week in the 4th of July. Most of them eaten by Joey Chestnut, I believe. Um, so if you know, he's the uh, championship hot dog eater. 74 hot dogs in one sitting. That don't, if you haven't seen it, do me a favor, don't. It's the grossest thing ever. 
but he's very, he's very good at it. Um, Americans spend over eight, $1 billion every 4th of July on fireworks. Another fun fact, 1985, almost blew off my pinky with one of those fireworks. Exclusive NBC content, you only get that here. Um, if, if you haven't almost blown off one of your digits, I don't know how American you are as a kid, right? If you didn't blow a black cat or a cherry bomb or something. Uh, this one's very interesting. The Philippines, which I've been to on a mission trip, beautiful country. Their Independence Day is the 4th of July. Ironically, having independence over America, which I think is pretty interesting there. Uh, but to understand, really, uh, um, this nation and, and where we are, right, uh, you have to understand our forefathers, right? And today, this message we're talking about in this series, right, the not-so-superheroes, which I love. We can go back there, back to the last one, right? Minor, minor roles but major impact, right? I can, I can understand the minor roles because when I think superheroes, right, and their impact, I can't put myself in that superhero category, right? I can put myself in kind of a, someone that's a, that just played a minor role, right, and to, to really understand that God can use these minor people in the Bible, right? We all know of the Moseses, of the Pauls, and all that good stuff, but during this series, we're going to talk about people that don't get as much ink right, that don't get as much publicity, but really had a huge, huge impact. So today we're going to be talking about Ananias. Everybody say Ananias. And we're going to be discussing this theme right here, how to respond to God's call. Now this is very important, okay, because if you're a child of God, and, and let me make this distinction again, uh, people like to say in Christendom, oh, we're all children of God. Can I hear amen? That's not true. It's not true, right? It feels good to say that. Right? But the Bible says there are children of God, and the Bible says there are children of the devil. Right? And so to become a child of, the, of God, you have to make that choice to become his child. So if you have made that choice to become a child of God, give your life to the Lord, to express it through baptism, have the fruits of the Spirit, right, and live your life to glorify the Lord, then you are a child of God. And as a child of God, he wants to speak to you. If you've not made that choice, encourage you, wrestle with that. And hopefully today's message, right, we can all wrestle with it because it's about responding to that call. And in a relationship, there has to be communication. Can I hear amen? amen. There has to be good communication in a relationship. For those of you guys who are married, uh, you would know that that's often kind of a, a spot of contention, right, is, is, is communication, communication style, et cetera, et cetera. It's very, very important to, to, to have proper communication. And as the Lord being our Father, right, and having a relationship, us with God and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, he wants to communicate with us. It's very simple. He doesn't want us to have a stagnant life. He doesn't want to have a life that, that, that's robotic. Like, he wants to guide us. He wants to provide for us. He wants to direct us. So it's very important. Then, then how do we respond, right? How do we respond to God's call that he certainly has on every one of us? But for us to understand who Ananias is, right? First of all, who is Ananias? 
well, was he that guy in the Bible that sold his property, his wife's a fire? No, that's a different Ananias. So he's not super popular. We read about him in Acts 9 and in Acts 22, but it's kind of confusing. Well, why the Lord killed him because he sold his property and life? No, that's a different one. So what about this one, right? Well, Ananias, we're going to read about today, had a huge, huge effect indeed on us today, right now in this nation, in Christianity. But to understand who Ananias is, we need to understand who Paul is. Yep. Are you guys following me? And to really understand who, who Paul is, right, and, and who modern Christianity is, we also need to understand Martin Luther. So uh, work with me here. I want to make a tie to Ananias and his small role how he affected Paul, how Paul affected, later on, Martin Luther, the Reformation, and now how it affects us today. So just relax for a little bit. Let's just go through a little bit of, of world history, then we'll dive into the marriage, I mean, into the, into the message, right? So in the late 1800s, around 1480-something, Martin Luther was born, okay? In that era, right, it, it was a time where it was the feudal system was kind of dying off, but you were born into a class, and you pretty much stayed into that class, um, the church had ultimate power, essentially. The, uh, the church had, had, had most of the money, had most of the power, had most of the influence. And the dominant church, the global church, the universe, universal church was the Catholic church, all right? So today in our Protestant mind, right, we hear Catholic church and we sometimes draw a line between Protestant, right, which is kind of the modern-day Christianity and Catholicism, but you need to wipe that out because Catholicism, Catholic, means universal. You guys with me? So the Catholic church was indeed the Christian church. The reason it was called the Catholic church is because it was the universal church. And so the Catholic church at this time, the Christian church, the universal church, had the power. Okay, And so in that era, uh, likewise, you were born into a class, you stayed into a class. Martin Luther, fortunately, uh, came from a family of some means, and so he went to study and to become a lawyer. Okay, So early on, he studies to become a lawyer, and, 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 and his rhythm that day was a pretty arduous rhythm. Four o'clock every morning, every morning they'd wake up at four o'clock to attend Mass, uh, then they would do their studies, have a long day with the studies. And in that day, even be a privileged person, right, they would have one shower a month. My son Marco would have loved to live in that era, <laughs> right? That's his thing. When you tell him to take a shower, he acts as if, you know, why, Marco? Just take a shower. <laughs> it's not a punishment. Just there's soap and every, hot water. We got hot water, shampoo. We got all kinds of stuff, Right? So then he starts to study the law, and during that time, right now we're about uh, 1505 or so, he, this storm comes out, right, and then he, by the storm, gets scared to death. Now, in California, this doesn't make any sense. If you grew up on the East Coast, you know what I'm talking about. Right? The, the lightning storms, the thunderstorms, they'd shake your house. They'd shake the foundations of the earth. And he was caught in one of these storms. And then he got down and he says, Lord, if you save me from this storm, I will repent and I will serve you. 
Okay? So Martin Luther now leaves being a lawyer, goes now to be a monk, and starts that journey, that path to serve in the only capacity people could serve then. So he does that, and he starts to learn, he starts to grow, and he starts now to see some huge, huge discrepancies between what the Bible is saying and really the reality of the church at that time. Are you guys following me? So now begins this internal battle that he's having between serving the Lord, being true to the scripture, being true to the people, but kind of honoring the church. And this problem starts beginning. And then he goes on a thousand-mile trek, right, to go to Rome. And then during that time, he's really wrestling with it. Is this true, what they're telling me? Because the church is getting richer, and he really had a problem with selling indulgences. So let me, let me talk about this real quick, because it's pretty, pretty important to just Christianity in general, world history. So, so the Catholic Church, the universal church, the Christian church, there was no, like, separation, okay, is selling indulgences. Indulgences was this idea that the saints... Okay, the saints who are now in heaven had all this extra grace since they were lived almost a perfect life. Are you with me? So they had all this extra goodness on their that side of their ledger. And so the Catholic Church through the Pope would go to them, and since they didn't need all that extra goodness, they would borrow from them or take their goodness and their grace from them, have it available, and sell it to the people. You guys following me? So now with these indulgences, you can do a couple things, right? Now it paid the price for your sins. Now it covered your sins. And they were transferable too, all right? They were transferable too. And then now you could take those indulgences yourself, give them to somebody else, and they also worked for your dead family that they thought might be in purgatory. You guys following me? So how much worth is it? How much value do you think they sold that for when they're saying, man, I can get my dead mom, my dead uncle, right, my dead cousin out of purgatory by buying these indulgences? So when, when, when Martin Luther was reading the scriptures, he saw how far off, right, the, 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 how the church was behaving to the reality. But ultimately when he saw that you're saved through faith alone. You guys following me? Not through these indulgences. Not through me going through the priests. So then he began now to now struggle with that. During that time, as the Lord would have it, the Gutenberg press was now standard. And now people could print. Are you with me? So now he could print his thesis, his 95 thesis. Right? He could print that, and about 1,500 a day through, through, through economies of scale and mass production, they could do that. And that began what we know as the Reformation. Everybody say Reformation. Right? It reformed things. And this is now, right, this is now in the year 1517, just to know where we are. So the Reformation begins, and the protest begins. So you hear in the word Protestant. You hear the word protest, and that's why Protestants are Protestants, because through Martin Luther, protested what the church was doing, then began what we know in the Western civilization, pretty much the birth of Protestant Christianity as we know it today. Why am I saying all that? Well, it's very important to know 
who Martin Luther is. But Martin was reading the words of the Apostle Paul. Are you guys with me? And those words from the Apostle Paul that he was reading never would have been uttered if the Apostle Paul didn't have a meeting with Ananias, some obscure character, a minor guy that we don't know much about, but huge impact. So let's get into the message today as we take a look at what God may have for us today. So we are going to be in Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 19. If you guys want to read along with me here, this. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias, him, come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. The Lord, Anan uh, Lord Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has seen me so that you may has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell off of Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Acts 9, 10 through 19. So let's set the scene here real quick. This is anywhere between... Five, four to seven years after Jesus' ascension into heaven. You guys following me? Right? During this time, Saul has been a terror. Saul has persecuted the church. Saul was there when the very first documented martyr, Stephen, took place cheering it on. And Saul was a guide who was to be feared. All right? But Saul eventually became a hall of famer. So let's take a little bit about Saul, Paul, uh, some facts about him real quick. First of all, he was a Pharisee, which means he knew God's word. He knew the law, okay? Next, he was both a Jew and a Roman citizen, so he took advantage of his Roman citizenship. As you read through the New Testament and you see how smart and bright he was, right, and you see how he used his Roman citizenship to claim his rights to his advantage, and he had a special <clears throat> ministry to the Gentiles. He persecuted Christians, as we discussed, right, to death many times. <coughs> Excuse me. He experienced a dramatic conversion that we just saw right now. Now, check this out. He authored 13 or 14, they say, we don't know, of the 27 New Testament books. So in other words, about half of the New Testament was penned by Paul. Of course, 
through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I mean, this is a big wig. This is a big wig. Wrote half the New Testament, right? Big deal. He traveled over 10,000 miles to spread Christianity. 10,000 miles. In those days, imagine how, <clears throat> how much of an arduous task it was. He established Christian communities in Europe and Asia Minor, Minor that still exist today. Outside of Jesus, of course. Marco, can you, can you get me a glass of water, please, baby? Thank you. Outside of Jesus, of course, he's recognized as the most significant influential spiritual figure and contributor to the Christian faith besides Jesus, of course. He died at the age of 61 underneath the rule of Nero. I love this stuff because it's not only the Bible, but it's world history. Right? I love how the Bible is world history. So that's a little highlight reel of our brother Paul, like big, big deal, right? And when you read the, 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 the Pauline epistles, right, Romans, Ephesians, Thessalonians, right, those are letters that Paul wrote, okay, and they became books of the Bible. Now let's take a look at Ananias' highlight reel. Well, it tells us in Acts 22 that he was an observer of the law and respected by the Jews. That's pretty much it. So we have a guy that is the most important figure outside of Jesus to the Christian world, and then juxtaposed to that, right, is Ananias, an obscure character. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. An obscure character that we're really not sure who he is, which one was he, a couple references. Let's go to the next slide. Although Ananias' role, this is very important, although his role was small, his impact was huge. And here's one of the takeaways I want us all to have today in this next one. Don't minimize your role in the kingdom of God. We probably are not going to have the impact that Paul has had on the world. We're probably not going to have the impact that Martin Luther had on the world. But wow, can God still use me? Can God still use you? Could God still use us? Right? And the answer is yes, in a huge, dramatic way. But we need to make sure that we don't minimize the role in the kingdom of God. Now, in order to talk about how to respond to God's call and when he speaks, let's discuss ways that he does that. So what I'm going to do right now is highlight ways that in the Bible, God spoke and communicated. Are you with me? And then talk a little bit about as well as how he currently does that today. Sometimes exactly the same, sometimes a little bit different, but to draw those parallels. So, so work with me here. All right, first of all, he, he, how he spoke in the Old Testament or how he spoke in the Bible was his voice. Like he would audibly speak to people, right? He would hear, they would hear his voice supernaturally, sometimes loud and audible and sometimes in a still, small voice. Well, today, does he do that? Oh, I'm sure he does. Is it normative? Probably not. Have I audibly heard his voice? I can say maybe a couple times in my life where I can say I believe I've heard God's voice. Right? But, but, but it's not normative. Does he still do it? I absolutely believe so. Uh, but, right, he would speak to people that would hear his voice. Also, through others. Through others. Right? Through the priests, through prophets, 
he would speak. Today, he continues to speak, right, through pastors to teachers. Perhaps he's speaking to somebody here today, right? But not only through pastors and preachers, through wise counsel. Can I hear amen, right? Through Bible studies, right? He still, he still speaks to you through others, so pay attention. Of visions and dreams, Right? We see examples here of God speaking through visions and dreams. I still think he does that today. Probably not normative. And a lot of the reasons these things are not super normative, guys, because we have an advantage that a lot of these people didn't have, and it's right here. Are you guys with me? Like, we can take all the questioning, was that you, Lord? Because it's right here. This is the word of God. So often, right, he doesn't have to rely on these special revelations because it's right here. Does he still do it? Certainly, right? But I'll tell you what, if you can't listen and trust what's in here and follow it, I guarantee you, you're going to have a hard time following a vision or dream or hearing his voice, right? Because it's right here and it's documented. So visions and dreams, right? Does he still do that? Sure. Okay. But, you know, also does it through uh, um, ideas. Are you guys with me? Ideas and, and thoughts and concepts. My visions and dreams are crazy. I don't know if he speaks to me in my dreams because it's mostly like me cliff jumping with clowns and like breathing underwater while eating carne asada. I'm not sure what he's trying to tell me with that. Like who can interpret that dream for me, right? So my dreams are crazy. So uh, I don't know if he's speaking to me in my dreams, but I'd certainly need an interpreter if he is. Um, also, his word, right? They had the scriptures. And like I said earlier, we have God's word. Uh, he also spoke through the Holy Spirit, right? We see it right here. And, of course, when Jesus ascended into heaven after he resurrected, now the Holy Spirit was ushered in early in Acts chapter 2. Now us as children of God, we have access to the Holy Spirit, now being omnipresent as opposed to just one revealing himself to one in the, in, in the Bible days. Uh, creation, right? Reveals himself through creation, through nature, uh, through circumstances, Right? Through circumstances, Lord, if, if, should I be a doctor? Well, let's see. You don't like studying, you hate blood, and you're lazy. Probably not, someone to say. Probably not going to be a doctor, right? And so often through circumstances, through open doors and closed doors, the Lord will communicate, right? And in, the, in this is my favorite one, through a donkey, right? That's a great story. I'll tell you what. I'm going to go out on a limb. Not normative. Not normative. Does it happen? Perhaps. But there's a great story when the Lord used uh, 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 the donkey of a guy called Balaam, who was this, this priest uh, that was kind of a soothsayer. He, he wasn't an Israelite, but it's a great story that God, the donkey. By the time a donkey's speaking to you, I mean, that's kind of like that. I don't know, man. If, it's, if you're not watching Shrek and a donkey's speaking to you, I'm just saying you should have some concern. You should have some concern with where your life is going. Um, but let's get into now how do we respond to God's call? Okay, let's take a look at verse 10 right here. Okay, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The first point here, how do we respond to God's call? We recognize his voice. Everybody say recognize. First of all, we have to know that it's the Lord. And how do we know it's the Lord, right? Um, well, let's go to John 10, 27. Okay, it says this. My sheep listen to my voice. 
I know them, and they follow me. So here's a clue. God's voice draws you towards him while Satan's voice pushes you away. Okay? God's voice draws you towards him. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance, right? It draws us close to him while Satan, the divider, is the one that is pushing us away. So if you're hearing things that push you away from God, that make you doubt God, that make you not believe in God's word, to make you not believe that living a life of faith is right, those things are not from the Lord. Can I hear amen? And if you hear things that draw you closer to the Lord, that draw you to repentance, that compel you to draw closer to the Lord, well, those things are not your flesh and they're not Satan. And if it's congruent with God's word, then it's the Lord speaking to you. Okay, we'll get into this a little bit more later. But first, we have to recognize that it's God's voice. And the more you know God, the closer you are to him, the better you can hear his voice. The more you know God and the closer you are to him, the better you can hear his voice. I've got four kids. They know my voice. They know my jokes. They know what words I use. My wife knows my voice. She knows my idiosyncrasies. When she'll finish a sentence for me as I'm saying it, and she knows what lame dad joke I'm going to say as somebody says something. Right? My kids often were together talking. Something happens, and in unison, we will respond at the same time with the same phrase. They know what I say. They know what I don't say. They know what words I use. They know what words I don't use. So if somebody told them, Daddy said this, blankety, blankety, blank, they know you're a liar. You guys following me? Because Daddy doesn't talk blankety, blankety, blank. They know my voice. They know my words. They're close to me. They know me. The closer we are to the Lord, the, no, the more we know the Lord, the easier it is going to be for us to discern his voice. And once again, let me just reiterate, the easiest way to know God's voice is to know his word. Because that is him speaking to you. And once again, don't look for a supernatural revelation when you can't believe what's documented right there. Know God's word. Spend time with him. Know his character. And this all comes through developing a relationship. So first, we have to recognize his voice. Let's go to the next point here. Let's look at verse 13 through 14. Says this, Lord Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. So Paul had legal documents from the chief priest to capture and apprehend those who are calling on Jesus' name, to capture them, and to ultimately even kill them. So, so Ananias. He recognized God's voice. Sure, that's the first step. Here's the second step, guys, how to respond to God's call. We need to reject the doubt. Everybody say reject the doubt. Everybody say reject the doubt. Number one, we recognize his voice. Is that you, Lord? Ananias, God calls him. Yes, Lord. Okay, it's you. All right, now God calls him to do something. Ah, I don't know. Typically, 
Often, God's going to call you to do something that's counterintuitive. Often, he's going to call you to do something that's contra kind of what society believes. Can I hear amen? Right? Now, the road, that's because the road to heaven is narrow. Are you guys following me here? Wide is the way to destruction. Very few are on that path, right? And so, so here Ananias recognizes God's voice, but now he needs to reject the doubt because what God is calling him to do doesn't make much sense to him, or it's dangerous, or he doesn't want to do it, or it's uncomfortable, or it's difficult. Check, 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 all of the above. All of the above, right? And often God's calling us to do stuff. Living a holy life is difficult. Can I hear amen? Right? Living by God's word is difficult. Setting your life aside to serve the Lord is difficult. Abstaining from sin is difficult. Hey, here's the deal. Sin is fun. That's why everyone's doing it. That's why everyone's doing it. Sin's a lot of fun. Right? But what God has called us to do to live for him, to put him first, to trust him above all else, that's very difficult and counterintuitive. To be humble, to serve your spouse, to love your spouse, to respect one another, to love your neighbor, right? To love those that curse you. These aren't things we're being taught by society. We're being taught to divide. Can I hear amen? Are you on this side or are you on this side? Are you on this side or on this side? Do you hate them or do you hate them? Do you believe this or believe this? Right? It's very counterintuitive what God has called us to do. And Ananias was struggling with that. But if you've struggled with doubt here today, uh, you're in a good club. Let me tell you why. You're in a good club. Let's look at some, uh, some ways, first of all, that the devil speaks to us and creates that doubt. One is discouragement. Man, he's good for discouraging. Good for discouraging. I'll tell you his little pastor's secret, little preacher's secret. And I'm sure Tim would affirm this. After every message, I'm typically at my lowest. Right? Man, I messed that one up. Man, that was no good. Man, look at that person falling asleep. Man. That's my dad falling asleep. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Discouragement. Depression. Have you experienced this? Depression. Defeat. Those are not from the Lord. But these are things that the devil uses, right, to make us doubt. Here's some Hall of Fame doubters right here. One, Abraham. Good company. Lord, you're going to use me, father of nations? I don't even have a kid. I'm old. I'm gonna... Moses, what, God? I, don't, I, I stutter. I don't, I, I don't want to be in front of the people. I, I'm not eloquent of speech. John the Baptist. Oh, I love this one. Because if somebody should have knew who Jesus was, it's John the Baptist. It's his cousin. Right? They hung out together. They went to birth, birthday parties together. Had their bar mitzvah together, I'm assuming. Right? I'm not sure how that went, probably a little weird, right? But like he knew Jesus. You guys follow me? He was ultimately incarcerated and was about to get decapitated. 
So he knew Jesus walked on water. I mean, he saw, he baptized Jesus. Guys, this is John the Baptist. He baptized Jesus. He saw heavens open up. He saw a dove come down and say, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. That's John the Baptist. And he's about to, day, about to die. You know what he does? He calls his disciples. Hey, yo, come over here. Uh, do me a favor. Uh, can you go chat with Jesus? And uh, can you just... Make sure he's who he says he is because in a couple days, I'm about to get decapitated. So be nice to like double check, right? Doubt it. Peter, as we know, infamously denied Christ three times when he said, nah, far being for me, Jesus, to do that. Jesus, the one that God said, Jesus told him, get behind me, Satan. Oh, my gosh. But ultimately, his doubt, right? He overcame it. And on Peter, God told him, I love Jesus, was good with puns. He told Peter, on you, on the rock in which I'll build my church. And, of course, Peter means Petra, and Petra means rock. So we see these, all these people doubting Thomas, of course. So, so if you are in a spot where sometimes you recognize it's God's voice, but now you got to reject the doubt. You're in a good spot, but I encourage you to go through it. And there's a great story in the Gospels where his dad brought his son to Jesus. And the son was, 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 was possessed with the evil spirits. And Jesus says, do you believe? I'm, I'm truncating the story. And, and I love this. And, and, and the dad told Jesus, I, I believe, but help my unbelief. That's often me. Lord, I believe. <laughs> Absolutely. But Jesus, can you, can you help me my unbelief? Because I see issues here. And I see issues there. I see issues there. And I see issues here. Are you guys with me? I see enough issues with my own heart to be tripping on everybody else. I believe, Jesus, but, but help my unbelief. Well, if you're there, you're in a good club, right? And so we have to reject the doubt. Verse 17, as we close up, let's take a look at this. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Last point on how to respond to God's call. First one, we have to recognize his voice. Number two, we have to reject the doubt. Number three is we need to respond in obedience. We need to respond in obedience. I would dare say if you've been to church and you call yourself a Christian and you know you've been to messages and Bible studies, if you didn't learn one more thing about God's word, and which I'm not suggesting, you guys with me? I'm saying if that didn't happen, but all you did was apply and obey what you did know, you'd be in a good spot. Right? We need to obey God's word. 
I love this quote by Martin Luther as we wrap up. It says this, You may as well quit reading and hearing the word of God and give it to the devil if you do not desire to live according to it. Wow. So why read? Why study? If at the root you're not willing to obey it and live by it. Right? We see that he recognized God's voice. Yeah, that's step one. But then we see he had issues with it. And then he had to wrestle with that. But ultimately he had to reject the doubt. And after he recognized God's voice and he rejected the doubt, he responded in obedience. What a great formula for us to emulate. What a great flow for us to have as an example. John 14, 15 says this. I love this verse here. Very simple. All you theologians out there. If you love me, the words of Jesus Christ, keep my commands. Is there evidence in my life that I love the Lord? In the way that I treat people? In the way that I obey his commands? In the way that I have fruits of the Spirit? Of the Spirit? If I love Jesus, simply I should obey his commands. Uh, I love this. If we put this picture up here real quick, let me show a video. This is me and a guy that became my friend. His name is Metal Lark Lemon. For people of my generation and before know who this guy is. If you think uh, uh, LeBron James is an icon, and he is, and you think Michael Jordan is the greatest of all times, which he certainly is because I'm sporting his shoes right now, and I will dunk on you if I have to after service. <laughs> but Metal Lark Lemon was the guy. Let me tell you why. Because Melalark Lemon, in an era, right, where basketball was really nothing and people of color didn't really have access to, to having a great impact on social issues, this guy wasn't only amazing basketball player, skill set, right? Not only did he have his own character on Scooby-Doo, which, say no more, you get your own character on Scooby-Doo, like, that's impressive. <laughs> but more importantly, this man loved the Lord, and this man played in front of princes, in front of kings, in front of czars, in front of presidents, and in front of millions of people. I got the benefit of having lunch with this gentleman before he died and we became friends. One of the most impactful favorite lunches I can ever remember as I'm talking to this guy who's played in front of czars of Russia. And telling me how he understood that God gave him the ministry of joy. Are you guys following me? And his ministry of joy was to take the vehicle of basketball to bring joy all throughout the world. And in front of millions, including the most influential people of the 1900s, he told them and showed them about God's love. Let's watch this next clip as we finish up. The worlds of basketball and Christian ministry are mourning the death of Meadowlark Lemon. He was known as the clown prince of basketball as he played for the Harlem Globetrotters comedy entertainment basketball team for 24 years during their heyday from the mid-1950s to the late 1970s. Lemon played in more than 100 countries, including in front of world leaders during his long career. He spent the last years of his life spreading the gospel through basketball. 
He became an ordained minister in 1986 and founded a Christian evangelistic organization known as Metal Ark Lemon Ministries in 1994. He, he died in 2015. And in my lunch, as I was just like a kid in a candy store, you can imagine, right, having lunch with Metal Ark Lemon, he told me not so much about the great things that he accomplished because I was asking about those. But he told me about one guy in his life called Papa John in Wilmington, North Carolina. Papa John. Not that guy, Dan. I love his pizza too, especially the garlic sauce. Wait your turn. You got to wait your turn. He told me about Papa John that pointed him to Jesus and believed in him when nobody did in Wilmington, North Carolina in the early 1900s. When people didn't believe in little black kids too much in North, Wilmington, North Carolina during that time. And he took the time to open up the gym, took the time to see, tell him what he saw in him, and took the time to point him to the Lord. Well, you never hear about his buddy John. You see these great accomplishments that Metal Ark did. If you know history, it's, he's worth kind of studying. So I say all that to say, I hope we leave encouraged. Maybe we can't be the Metal Ark Lemon playing in front of czars and kings and queens. Maybe we can't be the Martin Luther that through us begins this reformation of world history as we know it. Maybe we can't be Paul and write half of the books of the New Testament, but maybe we can be the Ananias. Maybe we can be the Papa John. Maybe we can be that guy that's just obedient, that recognizes God's voice, that rejects the fear, and that responds in obedience. And he can use us change the world. So why don't we close our eyes and end in prayer and this chance to receive communion as well. Lord, I just thank you so much for the 4th of July right around the corner. I thank you for this nation. I thank you for the beaches. I thank you for the family fun, the days off, Lord. I thank you for uh, your word, God. I thank you for Paul, Lord. I thank you for Ananias being a great, great example for us, God. And I pray that during this time as we're receiving the elements, both the cup and the bread, God, that we will reflect upon your goodness, Lord, as your children. Lord, and maybe there's those today, Lord, that, that, that won't take the communion today because they are not your children, God. And I pray that they would take time to recognize you are drawing them closer to you, Lord, that you are the one that wants them to reject that doubt of giving their life to you. That you are challenging them to respond in obedience, God. I thank you for the baptism we have coming up, Lord, for a chance to celebrate people giving their lives to you, Lord. So I just, just pray right now you start stirring in hearts for people to make those decisions, God. And as far as your children, Lord, I pray that likewise, Lord, we would know your word, Lord. And that you could direct us by your words and your calling. So as we lift you up, Lord, and take time meditating on your word and hearing this song, Lord, I just pray that on our own time we'd come up, take of the bread and the cup, and remember what great things you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray.